Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by the Inglert Theater. This week, we talk with musician and founder of the Iowa Women's Jazz Orchestra, Tony Lefevre. We'll also hear from Phoebe Martin, aka the realtor of the people, about her career and best show ever. But first, a word from our sponsors. Toyota of Iowa City has been owned and directly managed by the Drusicki family since 1981. What makes Toyota of Iowa City unique is their long-standing reputation for customer satisfaction in both sales and service, transparency, and supporting our community, including the Englert Theater. Please visit their website at toyotaiowacity.com to make service appointments, review inventory, or check out current factory incentives. Or find them on Highway 1 West. Tony Lefevre is a trumpet player, band director, and founder of the Iowa Women's Jazz Orchestra. She's also a personal hero of mine, but you'll probably gather that throughout our interview. Tony, it's been too long. I'm so stoked to see you right now. I didn't know how big my the hole in my heart was until seeing you now. I'm like, ugh. Feeling is very mutual. Oh, stop. Um, I want to start at the beginning. I just want to preface a lot of this we've actually talked about before, but I think it's really interesting and important stuff. So I'm excited to be sharing it with our audience. So my first question, start at the beginning. When did you realize you were interested in jazz music? When did you discover that you would become, as is in my phone, my contact for you in my phone, Tony Trumpet? Love that, first of all. (laughs) So I started playing trumpet in later years of elementary school, I think, when a lot of people start playing instruments. Um, When I first was exposed to jazz band was eighth grade. Had a phenomenal band director myself at the junior high I went to and joined the jazz band there. And I have been playing jazz ever since then in my school bands and in any other sort of ensemble I can get my hands on. And what is it about jazz music specifically that speaks to you or that drew you in? As soon as I, you know, hear a blues song, my ear is automatically drawn to sort of uh, the different timbres that can happen and the different storytelling that can happen through different instruments, uh, playing jazz music of all different styles. And so I've, I've just loved playing it ever since I played my first jazz band song I suppose when I was in junior high yeah just like an instinct connection like an instinctual thing that's really cool and you know a good band teacher we've come full circle (laughs) yes no we had a good band teacher lights of fire and you were full circle now you're doing that for others that's beautiful so you studied music at UNI And then you came to Iowa City for grad school um, in the music program here. And we've talked a little bit before about the research you did, but the research you did revolved around being a lot around being a woman in jazz. So can you maybe talk about some of the things you've learned or maybe how it applied to your time as a student here in Iowa City? Yeah, absolutely. So the reason I chose the University of Iowa for my graduate studies was because there was a professor at the university, Dr. Erin Weir, who had spent uh, much of her research endeavors researching the you know, presence of women in jazz and the history of women in jazz and the future of it. And I really connected to that research topic and chose to come study it myself because I knew that being a woman brass player you know, instrumentalist and more specifically jazz musician 
had always maybe had a different effect on how I handled certain situations in an ensemble or in an audition than my male peers. So uh, reading some of her research and some of the research that's out there got me super interested to kind of delve into the psychology behind behind some of those differences. And what were some of the things that maybe you learned through that research that maybe you noticed in your time? Because when we met, you were in the Johnson County Landmark Band and there was maybe one other not male (laughs) in, in the whole band. So I have to imagine there were more instances than just everyone wears suits except for Tony, (laughs) you know, (laughs) those little things. Like there's, there has to be more than just those moments that I witnessed. And I'm kind of wondering if you have any specific examples of, you know, moments when you realize that difference or like distinctly noticed how it's different being a woman in jazz. I think one of the most prominent realizations I had um, and really, really sad that I didn't start to understand this until not when I got to my undergrad as a jazz musician, but even not until I was a grad student, that there were so many women that have made, you know, pioneer contributions to the jazz genre whose names I had never heard. Mm. And so learning about people like Melba Liston and Mary Lou Williams, who wrote or uh, wrote music for some of the people that we really hail some of the men that we really hail as jazz heroes um, and played in their groups, but never hearing their names stuck out to me as, whoa, I really, you know, women are really missing out on being able to see themselves in this genre, going back to the very uh, beginnings of jazz history. I've had those experiences too, where I'm like, I'm 24 years old. I shouldn't just now be here discovering Alice Coltrane or, you know, the things like that. It's like, why weren't these, you know, why did it take so long for me to discover this? Um, I guess I'm wondering, do you see a trend towards more women being involved or is it happening? Is it stagnant? Is it happening slower than you'd like to see? I definitely think that there is a lot of uh, push for more gender equality in the jazz idiom. Um, there's a lot of groups, such as the one that I've, you know, trying. I've been trying to build for the last few years, the Iowa Women's Jazz Orchestra. Um, but there's a lot of groups like that that are employing women and placing them on the stage in front of, especially students and really anyone, to provide sort of that role model vision for young instrumentalists to look to, because being able to see yourself in a genre of music is really, really key to deciding uh, whether or not you have the ability to pursue that. So like for me, when I was in high school, I first saw a video of the Diva Jazz Orchestra run by Sherry Miracle. And I always talk about this because I it, it's just a video. And I, it was the first time I had really seen a female trumpet player just laying it down on a jazz tune and a whole band of women jazz musicians. And I don't know if I really realized it at that time specifically, but looking back, I can pinpoint that moment as being a pivotal realization that, wow, I can do this. There's other people that look like me that are doing this. I can and want to do this as well. Yeah. Having that sort of representation is so huge, especially at a young age. Like I remember when I first started band, 
it really, and I don't think this was maybe anyone's intention. You know, I don't want to point fingers at anyone, but it was like, okay, girls, clarinets, <laughs> girls in the percussion section, you play the bells, the guys will play all the cool drums and like all, and that's, that's just what, like no one questioned it. Like, that's just how it felt the whole time. I, I think maybe there was one, you know, girl in the trumpet section, you know, a few sacks, like, so I do think that would have made a world of a difference in my career early on if I had seen more of those things. And as a singer at a younger age, been exposed more, I guess, to female jazz singers and things like that. I also think too, as you sort of mentioned, like the push for equality on so many levels coming to forefront of our culture, I think it's given us a lot more of the language that we need to sort of, I don't know, just understand, you know, what's at stake and what's at play. Like imposter syndrome, I'd never even heard of that until I talked to you like a couple years ago. And now that I've understood that more, I, I feel like I have a better grasp on, you know, what holds me back in certain situations as a musician. And I think just having a more conscious cultural understanding of, of some of those things is really helping us move the needle forward. So yeah, talk a little bit about the Iowa Women's Jazz Orchestra, um, how it came together, when it started, all that good stuff. Sure. So Iowa as a state is a really, really special place for jazz education. We're just you know, at the forefront of jazz education in the Midwest and probably across the country too. There's just something about the culture of jazz here that lands really well at our at our schools, which is really cool to see. So when I was a grad student, Dr. Weir and I thought that us teaming up together and creating a big band of women jazz musicians from across the state would be, first of all, very possible because there's so many uh, phenomenal music educators and gigging women out there um, to make a big band. And second of all, just really good for our state and our representation and getting students, um, especially women, participating in the jazz idiom beyond middle school, beyond high school, into the college years and beyond. So we got together at the IHSMA, which takes place every year, a big music educator meeting in Ames, Iowa, and uh, did like a little reading session with some of the band directors that were going to be there. And it was, I, I just think it was really pivotal. It was the first time that many of us, probably all of us, I don't want to speak for everybody, but probably the first time that all of us had played in an all women's uh, big mm-hmm. band or all women's band period. And most likely a time where we had played in a, in a big band with even more than one other woman in the group. Like we said, like when I was, you know, several of the bands that I played with, played with, I have been the only female in the group. So it was really, really cool to, first of all, just play together. Um, A lot of us teach fifth grade music all the way up through college music. We don't play nearly as much as we want to. So I'm so glad that we got that going for us. It was cool to share experiences and sort of start the conversation of how this can impact the jazz culture and impact jazz education in our state that we all love and teach in. I, so... (laughs) 
Um, I've said it a million times, but being involved with the Iowa Women's Jazz Orchestra is hands down the coolest thing I've ever been a part of in my whole life. And you just don't really think about it until you're in it or you see it, but just how profound, just absolutely profound it feels to be in a big band with all women. Like you would see that all the time. It's all dudes, wouldn't think twice, but something about the fact that yeah it's it's all women is like oh man it is just so overwhelmingly powerful and i wish it wasn't i wish it what didn't feel like it was so crazy which we're getting we're you know we're making progress but we're getting there as yeah. of right now as of right now it does feel crazy and just the culture of the group is so welcoming so fun you can tell like a lot of the people in the group are just friends outside of the group have met through the group i have never seen in real life, you know, a female jazz guitar player until, you know, we're in practice. And then this young woman comes and is playing the guitar and she's ripping a solo. I'm like, shut up. Oh my God. Uh, so do you have any favorite moments from doing it? Ha- you know, it hasn't been around that long. And unfortunately, as soon as the wheels are really going, the gigs, you know, are confirmed it's like it's all just put on hold but yeah I was thinking about this last night and like tidal wave of emotions coming over me as I think about the fact that our last gig was almost exactly one year ago it was February 8th um, last year when we played at the Urbandale Jazz Colloquium man that was a fun day we totally crushed it got to play in front of a really solid group of Des Moines area high school jazz musicians and band directors um, got to share the stage with a couple of the high school jazz students um, for for a piece, which I think is always really special because I just can't imagine if I had an opportunity like that when I was in high school or even younger, um, how that would have a profound effect on my belief that I can uh, continue with this genre. And so that made me smile a lot. And then another really special moment that some members of the Iowa Women's Jazz Orchestra have been a part of, I believe it's 2019, uh, we joined forces with the Iowa Jazz Championships. They had hired several women adjudicators for the jazz competition, which is kind of statewide jazz competition, more or less. And we got to share the stage with a lot of those professional adjudicators for a concert between the morning competition and the evening awards ceremony. Um, So we were in front of thousands of high school jazz students and uh, several band directors too, which was really cool to fill the house like that. And you know, I mean, with that many kids in the audience, you know, there's at least a handful who are watching this and are just shook. I hope so. I mean, we're kind of just one person who's, uh, you know, day or, I mean, don't want to exaggerate here, but life we can turn around because I'd like to think that several of my own opportunities and several of the opportunities and uh, experiences that the women who play in our group have had have led to where we are today. So got to keep it going. I don't think it's an exaggeration one bit. I really do believe in the power of the Women's Jazz Orchestra. So when COVID's not a thing anymore, somewhere down the line, what what dreams do you have for this group or visions or hopes? Yeah, I just can't wait until the moment we can get back together and do a reading session, get some new music going, do a rehearsal. We are a large ensemble, obviously, so that 
uh, pertains to why we really haven't been able to meet safely. As we get back together, you know, looking forward to capitalizing on our mission to uh, inspire more women in our state and young girls who are learning their instruments in our state to participate in the jazz idiom. Also having a focus on sort of the social justice side of the jazz idiom, which is honoring jazz as a Black music and finding various ways that we can support the Black musicians in our state and beyond and bring that education into our our classrooms. So any way that we can sort of tunnel that really, really important step uh, we we are going to be working on. So good to hear. I'm excited to see slash maybe be a part of whatever happens with the group in the future because... I just love it. I miss it so much. Oh my gosh. It's like being in dance again, you know, when you're a little kid and you have your little dance team and you you all hang out before the show and get ready. And then it's just like that, but you're an adult. Yeah, that's the best part. (laughs) Gosh dang it. Well, Tony, thank you so much for uh, taking some time today, for putting up your computer in your little band room office and saying hello we really appreciate you and everything that you're doing thank you thank you so much for having me we'll be right back in conversation with iowa city realtor and business owner phoebe martin Thanks for listening to Best Show Ever, sponsored in part by Friends of the Ingwer. Are you a student? Did you know that for just $10 a month, you can join student Friends of the Inglert and get free access to the Inglert Theater's entire digital season? For just $10, your membership will grant you the ability to buy tickets before they go on sale to the general public, complimentary access to Witching Hour and Mission Creek Festival, and stages musical performances, plus free access to screen time and storytellers, programs of Wavelength, deeper learning through the arts. Plus, we'll send you a free cool t-shirt. So, if you are a high school, trade school, college, or graduate school student, you can become a member and take advantage of these amazing perks. Plus, you'll be supporting the Inglert Theater to help us in our mission to inspire and activate positive community growth through the arts. Join Friends of the Inglert by visiting inglert.org friends. Phoebe Martin has been a realtor in Iowa City for over 10 years and is now co-owner of Blank and McCoon, the real estate company. She also co-owns and operates Martin Construction while still finding time to serve on many community boards and committees, run a local women's networking group, and see lots and lots of good shows. Phoebe, it's so nice to finally meet you. I've been hearing your name around town for years. <laughs> Seeing your little, uh, what are they, the things in the ground, you know. My signs. Your signs. <laughs> I mean, like, wow, she looks cool. I want to meet her. So I want to start at the beginning. Um, you're a third generation City High graduate, yes. It's true. Amazing. Um, I'm curious, when you were a young chap, bouncing around here in Iowa City, what what did you dream of doing? You know, um, for a long time, I wanted to own a comic book store. <laughs> oh, badass. When I was really little. I yeah. thought, you know, my dad always owned real records. He owned a record store forever. I didn't think I really wanted to own a record store, but I thought comics would be fun. Wow. 
And I, I wanted to ask about the origin story of getting into real estate specifically. <laughs> yeah. So my parents, you know, they bought and sold a million houses and, you know, seemingly were, did it for fun half the time, but they never used the same realtor twice. They didn't have a good feel for realtors. They thought they were all shady, slimy, you name it. So when um, my husband is a carpenter and uh, he'd been working for other businesses here in town and we decided to do our own thing and people would, so I was running the, I was running Martin construction and people would say, oh, you should really get into real estate. And I thought, oh yeah, that'll be nice. I'd like to, I'd like to join the ranks of the sleaziest Mm -hmm. used car salesman job in the world. Great. I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) So then a good family friend was like, no, for real, you've got to ditch that, the incorrect perception. Let's, let's, you need to interview someone. So I interviewed two realtors and um, I, you know, it opened my eyes and I thought I can, I can do this. I want to try this profession. And if I become successful, I now know what I would want to do to better our community or how can I be of assistance? I decided that I'd be the realtor for freaks. (laughs) Oh, that's the line right there. That's so cool. (laughs) Realtor for freaks. I will never forget the first time I saw like one of your, you know, signs around town and you had like some crazy color hair. And I'm like, yes, that makes me excited about buying a home one day. That makes me feel good about living here. Like we're ready to be different. Like we don't just conform to the way, you know, we imagine a realtor to look or whatever to look, you know? Yeah, exactly. I still, you know, I certainly dress the parts. You, you know, you, I feel that you dress for how you want to feel. You dress for how you want to convey a message. But there's a difference when you add the style, you know, and not to say that I have all this grand style. I'm, I've got plenty of room to grow. (laughs) I feel like, you know, you've got to be true to you. And I feel like, you know, becoming a homeowner is this beacon moment of empowerment. To have all that wrapped in, you know, you are empowered to be yourself. You are empowering others to be themselves. And I I think, yeah, that's just a recipe for, for good stuff all around. What do you love most about being a realtor? Or like, what are your favorite moments? I love... The moment when I'm showing a house and someone realizes this is it, that feels really good. The watching, I mean, first time home buyers are super, super fun, but that same spark happens when people are buying their second and third houses. Also, it's a new chapter. It's exciting. Maybe I'm working with someone that has lived somewhere for 15 years and they've been in a sweet house. It's great. And now they're just going to a whole different, maybe it's a condo, maybe it's downtown, maybe it's, you know, just a different chapter and they're excited to get to that chapter. I'm wondering maybe what are some of the things that you've learned during the pandemic, or maybe if there are things that will affect your practice moving forward that, you know, you've, that have come to light during the pandemic? Yeah. So 
one thing that I did was um, realized with my listings, um, I invested in a 3D camera so I could do virtual tours, which is huge. You know, always it's been the internet is the first place people look for a home. So you always want your photos to be just so and wonderful. That's your first impression. But getting those recordings, getting those videos has been huge. And, um, you know, if you hire it out, it's really expensive, which for me, it was cost prohibitive. I thought that's, I can't be spending my money on that. But this making the investment to own the equipment and the applications and all the pieces that go with it, I think has already paid for itself. And I've always done like FaceTime tours or um, WhatsApp tours with people that are coming into town, but this is different. Previously, I was able to get better at kind of walking someone through the house with all the senses. You know, we'd stop before we would walk in and just listen to the ambient sound. We'd walk in the door, I'd pause and talk about the smells I'm smelling and you know, the air that's touching my face so that I could walk someone through a home without just saying, here's the bedrooms, here's the kitchen. Because as you know, as you talk about being in your space, there's so much about buying a home that is feel, the vibe, and how you define a vibe, you know, and it's different for everyone. You know, I've got, I definitely have clients that are like, I want three bedrooms, two baths, a two-car garage, and everything painted gray. And I want it built this year. Okay, there you go. You know, easy peasy. But um, for a lot of people, this is this is where you go every day after work. This is, or this is where you do work. And this is where you put your head at night. So right there, you need to have an incredible sense of safety, an incredible sense of comfort. I've learned a lot about how to convey those feelings and really listen to my clients. I had a client once tell me she wanted a house that hugged her and I found her house literally two days later. I don't believe that you can be the realtor for every person, but I do believe that if you're paying attention and you make that connection and someone tells you, you know, not in the technical terms of what they're looking for. If you're open to it and receive it, you can then make it happen. You can find it. You know, you can look through their eyes in your own head. You're, I'm like, I'm like, am I about to go to realty school? Like, this, <laughs> I was like, she's got some cool philosophy on this. I was actually like reading your reviews on Facebook, which were all gleaming. I will say that, and one of them said she you know found everything we ask for but also the unspoken things she figured out as well like the things we didn't say we want but you know sort of internal i was like damn (laughs) (laughs) she's good (laughs) but that's so cool that there is like a a, an element of like mindfulness and like almost like spiritualness that you bring into your practice which I personally, I don't think most people really relate to meeting a realtor. Like I don't, I would never have thought of it that way, but it's such a big moment. Like you should really take to the time to think about it on every level. So that's cool. Yeah. It's fun. I like it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's get into it. Best show ever. 
You have been here for a long time, so you certainly have a lot to work with. I couldn't pick. I couldn't pick. If you have to name a few off, we, we've allowed it before. We'll make we'll make a permission again. We'll allow it again. Uh, just because you've been here for so long, and we all love you so much. So maybe just some of the, some of the first to come to mind. So I think I was in high school when Lori Anderson came to the to Hancher. That. Lori Anderson changed my life. Whoa. She's amazing. To realize that you could be so a woman, be so badass, play the violin, and do this crazy spoken word. And so I guess when I say high school, I should preface that was in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) I'm old. I I haven't heard of this person, but she sounds dope. You, what? Uh. (laughs) You must check her out. Oh my God. It's so good. So she, poetry and playing the violin. She's yeah, she is a, uh, she's something else. I love her. So that was an important show in my childhood. I feel what's what's the next one that comes to mind. Maybe your wedding. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> wedding at the Englert's. Hello. Yeah. We were the third wedding that the Englert had done. You know, here we are, these misfit kids. We didn't know, like, where do you get married? First of all, I never thought I'd get married. And <laughs> then, um, like, actually, I like this guy. Yeah, I like this one. And um, <laughs> we thought it just made sense to uh, to do it on stage. You know, all the world is a stage, and we are but mere actors. <laughs> so. So we had the wedding there. We had, um, you know, all of our friends are in acting and theatrical and whatever. So my like chick entourage, I don't know what they were called, um, made velvet backed scrolls. And we read from these scroll. We read our vows from these scrolls that were, you know, had beads and lace and fringe and all sorts of crazy on it and then um andy's best friend wore this um full robe garb and he married us it was really fun that sounds incredible yeah it was it was probably 10 minutes it was great (laughs) (laughs) you know if you're gonna get married you you know you only do it once maybe a few times in your life you gotta do it your way you know Yeah. So short and sweet, but then, you know, so that kind of, we always loved the Englert, but that was our, like, now the Englert was ours. And, um, so then my youngest son has been dancing since he was three and he's been in the Nutcracker every year. It's was pretty great when we started, started being at the Englert every year for that. And then Andy joined the board and then, um, my oldest son is he loves doing things but he he's a behind the scenes kind of guy so he then started volunteering backstage and of course during the nutcracker i would live downstairs in the and do costumes for the kids andy would come and fix anything that broke <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah so you know it was always it, for years it's been a family affair this year, I think we were all a little out of sorts when October rolled around and we weren't at the Englert every single day. 
And then that first week of December, when usually the nutcracker happens, you know, we're all at home together and we were all just sort of milling about like, obviously we were missing something and we were sitting down for dinner and having this conversation and, and Dexter, my oldest said, okay, I think we need to address the fact that we're not at the Englert and it's weird. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, I love that your family is like the perfect symbol of there are so many ways to get involved. You know, at the Englert specifically, you can be on the board, you can be dance on the stage, be behind the scenes, you know, um, you can work there, you can go and see shows and I think that's that's emblematic of just the arts community in general. It's it's just so easy to tap in and to suddenly feel like you're a part of this whole other community that you, you know, didn't even realize was there before. But, you know, you get on the board for something or you do one play at Riverside and then, you know, you're just hooked in and it does it does feel I mean, there's an emptiness when it's not there. Like there is a very real missing piece of you in that community isn't able to really congregate. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. And, um, you know, Dexter then subsequently volunteered for the uh, Festival of Carols. Is that what mm-hmm. it's called? And, yeah. um, you know, we're friends with a few musicians in town, of course, and he requested to work backstage for them. They've requested him a couple times. It was so sweet. And I think <laughs> for kids to be able to see that there's another way to give back, to be a part of, or that that could be a job someday. You know, when I was young, I didn't realize the magnitude of types of jobs there were to have. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Phoebe. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk today. It's been so fun. Um, Yeah, this was great. I appreciate it. This was really fun. I'm a big fan. I'll be looking out for your uh, TV show. If you need an extra (laughs) producer, you know. I think you guys are going to have to design it. week is ambivalence by the cedar falls based project honey swell the tune comes from their self-titled ep with all songs being written and produced by olivia heath with instrumental help from rachel wild this is genuinely one of my favorite songs ever i've listened to it a bajillion times and i hope y'all enjoy it too and if you do i encourage you to go on to Bandcamp and hear the rest of it because it's amazing um but here it is ambivalence by honey swell
This episode is supported in part by Lansing Funeral Home. Throughout our life, we celebrate many different events. Baptisms, weddings, bar mitzvahs are all happy occasions. The funeral is probably the most important because it's the final rite of passage, an event and celebration to remember and pay tribute to the one we loved. Lensing Funeral has over 100 years of service with two convenient locations in Iowa City and Coralville. Visit Lensing Funeral Home at 605 Kirkwood Avenue in Iowa City, at 210 Holiday Road in Coralville, or online at lensingfuneral.com. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org slash friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.